You're listening to episode 50, five zero, halfway to 100 of Fearless Rebel Radio. I have a awesome show for you today. I'm interviewing Kelsey Miller, who is the woman behind the anti-diet project at Refinery29, as well as the author of the new book, Big Girl, How I Gave Up Dieting and Got a Life. It's her memoir, and I'm super pumped to talk to her all about her uh, life and journey today. Before we get started, I just want to remind you to head to summerinnin.com forward slash freebies to get my free new revamped 10-day body confidence makeover. In addition to that, you can check out my 21-step body image remix, which I'm running another group cycle of starting January 11th. Yay! So screw all the sugar detoxes, cut out everything tasty, and do something for yourself and just love yourself and accept your body and Fuck dieting. Yeah. So you can join the group cycle uh, starting January 11th. Go to bodyimageremix.com. All right, let's get started with the show. Do you know where you are? You're in Fearless Rebel Radio, baby. I am your host, Summer Inanin, a certified nutritional practitioner, diet rebel, and food lover on a mission to help you feel hot damn fearless in your body. Fearless Rebel Radio is here to empower you to defy the standards and break the rules in order to radiate confidence, relish in your uniqueness, and live life fearlessly on your own terms. Every episode, I will help you to do this by sharing practical advice, not-so-PG-rated rants, and interviews with Fearless Rebel guests. Welcome to the show. Hello, everyone. I am beyond excited for today's guest. I have been cyber-stalking this woman for a long time, so I'm honored that she's a guest here. Today on the show, I have Kelsey Miller. She is a senior features writer at Refinery29, and you may know her as the creator of the Anti-Diet Project over at Refinery29, which became one of their most popular franchises and won multiple awards, including Body Image Hero of 2013 from the Huffington Post. She has just released her book, Big Girl, How I Gave Up Dieting and Got a Life, which is the hilarious and remarkable memoir of a 21st century woman, Kelsey, reclaiming her life, beginning with her complicated relationship with food. Big Girl chronicles Kelsey's journey from self-loathing and disordered eating to food acceptance and overall mindfulness. Welcome to the show, Kelsey. Thank you so much. What a lovely welcome. My goodness. I feel <laughs> I feel very over-important at this moment. <laughs> <laughs> well, your book is awesome. I know we were just talking about this offline, but I, um, I read it from front to back this weekend, and I thought it was so great, so honest, so raw and hilarious, and uh, I'm excited for you to share your story with the world and with my listeners today. Oh my gosh, thank you so much, me too. It's like, it, it feels very real to hear you say that. Um, so, and I really appreciate the kind words. I really do. Yeah, I mean, it's cra- it's <clears throat> it's, uh, it's pretty crazy to just have this going out to the world, I imagine. Yeah, I mean, it's really, it's one thing to be, 
you know, sitting in, in your bed or in Starbucks for, you know, a year and a half, just frantically typing away and thinking, yeah, no, it's fine. You know, it, it's, it's, it's whatever, it's what I'm writing. And then, and then all of a sudden it, do, it doesn't really feel like a book. It took me about a year to feel like it was an actual book to see like pages, you know, bound together. Yeah. I still didn't quite buy it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so, uh, like I said, I mean, I ate it up like a delicious piece of cheesecake. And so I have so many questions for you. So I'm going to just start firing away. Cool. I would love to start from the beginning because you, you spent, you know, more than half of your life, like 20 years dieting and you've been through so many different programs, which you chronicle in the book. But the initial one that you talk about where you were told to lose 10 pounds in two weeks at the age of 11 was probably the most shocking as a reader to, to see that. Can you talk about that experience and how that first diet influenced your relationship with food going forward? Yeah. I mean, that was at at once the first time I had been sort of publicly called out for, for my, my weight in, you know, by adults, by people that weren't my classmates. And so in that sense, it was very uh, humiliating, like on a deep degree. I mean, my mother was there and I felt so busted. But it was also one of those moments where I was like, okay, this is it. This is the rallying cry. And this is, this is what I need to just like shape up, you know? So it was, it was almost like I felt like I hit my bottom at 11 and was like ready to, to, to get my shit together. And all I needed to do was to be told by somebody to, to do it, really. And, I mean, then it became this transcendent experience where really and truly, you know, every what we all sort of not so secretly believe when we're going on a diet is that, like, every single thing will be better mm-hmm. once because of this diet, because it's going to change your body and because and, – and then, and then it did. It absolutely did. Yeah. I lost – 30 pounds in two weeks and I because I was 11 and because they were prom it was you know it was talent agents who had told me to lose this this weight and you know when you're an 11 year old kid who just wants nothing more than to be a Broadway actress like you know you're gonna do it and you're gonna do it fast and it didn't matter food just like it just it, it was it was just you know, getting through the day to get to my next way in, you know, and, and I, I had no problem just eating like cucumbers and lemon yogurt. And I think there was like, I think that's when I started eating carnation instant breakfast, but it was like, all I really remember are like peeled cucumber slices and lemon yogurt. And that's basically it. And, uh, so yeah, I mean, when, when you're, uh, you know, a child, you have that your you have that physical ability, and I had that drive, and I mean, I got so skinny so fast, and I had all these new clothes, and I got, um, I suddenly was like seen by my classmates as as a girl. I was like the hot new student from with these people I'd been in school with since kindergarten, and um, you know. <clears throat> As I say in the book, I got huge validation both from my mother and from these talent agents, but in the end, you know, I did not become a child movie star or a Broadway actress. Mm-hmm. It didn't it didn't happen. Um and so I I I it just fell apart after that, you know? I couldn't maintain that kind of mania, uh which is really what it was for very long. And so then, of course, it became the dragon that I continually chased, 
you know, I was just like, I just got to get back in that zone, that magical zone where I don't really need, I, I don't need to care about food and all I, I just need to sort of do it because I've done it before and I can do it again. And of course it never was like that, that magical again. And of course I gained way more weight back after that happened. Yeah, that really planted the seed, you know, like I think, and I think at such a young impressionable age when you can sort of go through this experience where like you believe everything in your life will be better. And then it is yeah. like, how, you know, the way that that programs your brain to, and as you put it, like, quote unquote, the manic power of skinny, oh. like it gave you all that kind of power and validation <clears throat> that you really at the root of it were craving. Um and then that set you on this path for like 20 years to like try and get back into that zone again. Yeah. Yeah. That magical zone, you know, where, where everything is possible and your body is just sort of shocked. You know, it's a shock to the system in every single way. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I, ne I never did, but you know, I can't say that I felt anything but wild joy, you know, during, during that time. And then of course the crushing defeat after was just, deeper than any shame I had ever felt. And that's how diets work, right? Like it's, yeah. you get to that point where you feel that crushing defeat, that shame, and that's, that's how they catch you to go back in again because that's the only way you know how to get rid of it. Exactly, exactly. I mean, I don't understand why, you know, I, I feel sort of like a conspiracy theorist when I talk about, you know, big diet, the big diet industry, no. who's, you know, trying to get us. But it's true. It's, of course, it's absolutely true. It's like, the, it's the most effective built business model ever. It gets, it's, it's already ingrained in us. And yeah, of course, when you fail and you fuck up, you, that's, the, that's the only thing you want to do. The, the only solution is another diet, you know? Yeah. And there's always another diet. <laughs> Yeah, there, there, and you went through so many of them. Too. Oh, yeah. yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and the book, you really talk openly about how, as long as you had been conscious of having a body, you felt like there was something wrong with it and there was too much of you. And the one thing that really stood out to me was that you said, No one found this more offensive than my mother. How did your mom influence your relationship with your body? Well, God, I mean. Isn't that everybody's story? I mean, how much time do you have? <laughs> You're like, I wrote a book on it, didn't you know? <laughs> no, 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 no. Because it's not, it's certainly, what, she wasn't the only influence on my body, but of yeah. course, my mother, everybody's mother, it's like, that's the person you just want to be adored by, and you want to be the most loved in, in their eyes. And I think she was really frustrated. Um, you know, I, I really don't think, it never came from a place of like, you know, you have to be skinny because, you know, uh, that's how I want you to look and stuff like that. I think it was just like, this is a, this is a problem and, you know, it's, it's a problem to be solved. And like, why, aren't, why, why can't you just stop? Why can't you stop, you know? And, and I'm pretty sure she was afraid for me. Uh, at least, you know, that certainly came out much more with both my parents uh, later in life because I really wasn't overweight, you know, when I was a small child. Uh, I just really believed so. And, you know, I, I'm, not really sh I'm not really sure. I think my mom probably saw me, you know, I, I had a very early adolescence and I went through a lot of, like, change and trauma when I was a little kid. And I think certainly that... Um, <clears throat> had an influence on my on my relationship to food and, and to my body in a very tangled way, which I go into in depth. And, and uh, 
you know, I think that she thought she was doing the right thing by, by trying to help me really. Mm-hmm. And every time, and I wanted to, I wanted her to help me. I wanted her to, to, to put me in line. You know, all I really wanted was somebody to tell me what to do and what not to do. But you know, as soon as those rules are in place, it's like they're, they're absolutely made to be broken. And so that's what taught me how to sneak. And I got very, very good at sneaking. And then, you know, if I ever got caught, it was just like the most giant infraction. And, uh, I mean, I think it really, I'm sorry, I'm saying this in a really roundabout way, but I really think it started with, with my mom with just those little tiny looks at the dinner table of like, you know, do you really need that second helping of potatoes, that kind of thing, where maybe if I had been, I don't know, an adult and not her child and not a small, you know, like a vulnerable little kid, it might not have been so crushing to me. But in my mind, it was just like, I just can't get this right. I can't get in. I cannot get in good with her. Mm-hmm. And this is, this, this is the only thing that, that I, that I need to fix in order to get her to totally, totally accept me and totally, totally love me. And of course she did totally love me, but you know, I, I think, I think this is just a really difficult and complicated dynamic with moms and with daughters. And, you know, certainly there was other stuff going on with, with my mom, uh, during this time as well. And, you know, I think it's, I think it's really hard. So I, I don't let her off the hook, but I do have empathy as well for her, you know? Yeah, you know, it's so good that you can see that because I do think at the heart of it a lot, of, most of the time moms are really just trying to protect us in a way that is not always effective for our mental and emotional well-being. Yeah. And I know you mentioned like, you know, you would get approval from your mom when you dieted. And so... You know, how, how was it to, to break, as you got older, to break free of that desire to gain her approval? Oh, man. I don't, I don't know that that's 100% gone. I mean, I think in practice it absolutely is. Um, and I'm certainly not actively seeking my mother's approval now. Mm-hmm. But there's, there's still, you know, I still have that feeling when I, when I see her from time to time of like, oh, my God, is she going to see, you know, what is she going to think of my body right now? you know? So that, that's a part of it. But yeah, I think to be set free from that, I mean, part really the way that I had to do it, the final nail in that coffin was making this big life change, you know, this very big, it's not like I just like quietly gave up dieting and and just started eating normally. No, I like made a grand declaration, (laughs) started a column, you know, I have a new journey and I wrote a book and everything like that. Like I had to do it. It's hard. (laughs) I had to make a very sort of big production of the whole thing. And, um, you know, I, I think that doing that, in, in this big demonstrative way and also getting, getting, making connections with other people through doing that, through writing the column is, is what helped uh, sort of loosen, loosen that tie between me and my, and my mother's disapproval of me. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I think there's so much shame in this in like for women who are trapped in that dieting cycle, like and and with who have the issues with, you know, not feeling comfortable in their body. And so for you to, you know, 
share that and gain that support and that momentum and really turn it into like this movement as opposed to just, you know, your journey. Um, I imagine that would be just like this incredible support system that you, that you, you know, had for, for yourself. So let's talk about that a bit. So, you know, you mentioned the breaking point being when you were 29 years old and like you're working out with the trainer Mm -hmm. and that was the moment you were done with dieting. What was, (laughs) what was going through your head at that time? I think it was sort of the apex of all that that shame and and not just shame in front of him yeah because it was very emblematic of like you know middle school gym class and stuff where I'm just like once again not not you know I'm still failing gym and I'm almost 30 years old <laughs> you know and and that's terribly embarrassing and 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 then it was also this feeling of physical discomfort and, and it was almost like having a, an anxiety attack and an epiphany at the same time where I was just like, I'm, I'm, I'm going to stop. I'm, I'm stopping because I, I actually can't. I couldn't run anymore and I couldn't feel this way anymore. You know, I, I had, my whole life had been structured around the dieting cycle and totally controlled by my self-loathing up until then. And I'd really been stuck in this kind of limbo. And by the time I got to this run, I'd sort of managed to make a bit of a life for myself and really like frantically catch up to all the over, you know, with all those milestones that I'd missed. I'd started dating really late. I'd, I'd started my career really late. And now that I had those things, I found that I couldn't do the dieting anymore. And I also couldn't do the self-loathing anymore because when you are, you know, sort of getting jazzed about your career and trying to advocate for yourself and move forward, you can't really do that and be like, but I'm a piece of shit. And you can't be, I was in my first like committed loving relationship. And really, I think that was a huge, uh, a huge catalyst because as I say in the book, I think what I found is that you can love somebody else before you love yourself, but it is really uncomfortable for both of you. And it was like this constant, um, you know, stalemate between us with this person who, who loved me and loved my body and yeah, not just accepted me, but like was so psyched about me and my body. And I was like all the time just being like, why? And what is wrong with you? And like, you must have this crazy fetish or something like that. And, you know, I I realized in that moment, it all kind of crystallized, you know, maybe that is the magic of exercise when you have an epiphany on the Stairmaster (laughs) or something like that, Um, that, that my, my life and my, you know, relationship with food and my body were not going to work together anymore. And I don't even think it was a choice between my dieting in life. I mean, I had to choose, I had to choose my life. So I had to give it up. And, um, I'd had that, you know, vague sense I'd heard of intuitive eating before, but you know, it all seemed very fake almost and like not real and just kind of like hippy dippy. And I'm like, I can get hippy dippy, but you know, when it comes to, you know, I'll do that when I'm thin, obviously I'll do that when I'm thin you know, and when I, you know, when I meditate and, um, you know, all those other things. Uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, but, but really, um, I, I think that my mind hung on to that sort of that, that title for a really good reason. And that's really what dawned on me when I had that moment of a uh, radical uh, shift, you know, away from dieting and that sort of grand renouncement of dieting and, and, uh, 
the way that I treated myself. It's amazing how the universe can just like smack you over the head and just be like, what are you doing? <laughs> let's, yeah. let's change this. Uh, that's awesome. So you went to work with an intuitive eating coach and one of the first things she asked you about is what asks you about is whether or not you'll be okay if you don't lose weight. What were you thinking when she said that to you? Um, I was thinking that like, I know the answer that she wants to hear is like that is yes. I'll be just fine. And I've totally, totally accepted my body because I, you know, made the decision to do so. But really, you know, I did still, I, 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 I didn't, I wasn't okay with that. I, I had to lose weight by doing this over and over again. She asked me, yeah, what do you have to do to trust this process and to lose weight by, I said to lose weight by doing it. And, you know, it took a lot of us doing those rounds for the message to really sink in that if, if that is the primary focus, uh, it's just, you know, I, I don't want to say it's not going to work because that's a very sort of diety term, but it's like, it's going to take a really long time for these practices and for this mentality shift to really, really happen. You have to sort of act as if, you know what I mean? Even if you can't totally, totally, uh, make the shift, um, to, to, you can't, you can't just automatically stop caring about weight. I don't know if, if you, if somebody's got that plan, I'll sign up for it right away. Um, <laughs> I'd be a millionaire if I had that plan. <laughs> I know. Can I just have like a little, is there some kind of surgery, you know? Um, but, but really I had to, I had to take a leap of faith over and over and over again. Um, that, that I, I could, I could decide not to focus on weight. And when I did that, that's when she, she was right. I mean, the, everything started to sink in. My relationship with food started to ease. And certainly, I, I found myself eating in an entirely different way. And, you know, as I did say in the book, yeah, when I really held my feet to the fire and, and asked myself if, if all that other garbage around food and obsessive exercise and constant, constant self-loathing and not being able to look at myself in the mirror. Um, if, if I got rid of all of that somehow and wasn't thin, if, if somehow thin wasn't solution to all of that, then yeah, yeah, I could, I could accept that, but I wasn't going to tell her that in that moment. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm so glad you're honest about that because, uh, you know, I, I, I think it's a common thing and I think it's like, it would be unrealistic to think that you can let go of something that, you know, you've been desiring and chasing and that you've intertwined with all of these expectations for yourself for mm -hmm. like 20 years um, mm -hmm. to just say like, no, I'm, I'm good. Yeah, no, <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm ready I mean, to let that go. I know. <laughs> I think the thing that we all have to, you know, that I, I, I write these pieces and I see these pieces more and more from people who do like body, who do body positivity and, and, and intuitive eating work, which is like, you know, even though you've made this decision, it doesn't mean that your brain is, is going to magically, you know, create new neural pathways in that instant. You have to really practice it. You know, it takes a really long time. You can, you can change the way that you eat and you can look at yourself and deliberately say, you know, positive or accepting things. But that mentality is still in your brain. I'm still going to look at a potato and see it for Weight Watchers points because that's still there. Mm -hmm. You know, I have to, I have to practice uh, adding new thoughts into that equation. Yeah, I hear you. Like I did the zone diet for um, a couple years and like it, I can't look at things without thinking that they're, you know, the blocks, which is their equivalent of points. Mm -hmm. And it took me years 
to really stop seeing food that way. And sometimes it'll still pop up more in a joking way, but like, <laughs> I, you know, it, it, it did. It took years and years for that to go away. And so, you know, the process for you moving into intuitive eating, you describe it as like feeling kind of foreign and you mentioned you had to give yourself permission to eat and not diet over and over, which I think is important people for people to know that it wasn't just like, all right, I'm doing this. Now I'm an intuitive eater. Um, so how was that process for you? Um, I would say, you know, permission to eat is something that is, is, uh, uh, is still in my life. You know, I mean, the thing that that it, with intuitive eating, yeah, there are like chapters in the book and, you know, you might look at them and think these are steps, you know, this is one leads to the other, but the, it really isn't the case. You know, they're, they're sort of more like pillars, you know, permission to eat and body acceptance and, uh, you know, gentle nutrition and the whole, the whole shebang. And I have to go back to all of those different things uh, quite frequently because when I'm feeling insecure or really stressed out, of course, old habits, they, they come a calling and, and that's what your brain and your body knows. And it's really easy to, uh, you know, not, not really backslide, but to, to have that stuff uh, come up. And in those moments when I find myself sort of stressing out over a particular food item, I have to say, oh, you know what? Do I have full permission to eat this? Do I really, really have full permission to eat this? And that was what it was like in the beginning, was seeing all the things that I did not have full permission to eat and all the things that I felt like a super special pretty, pretty princess for eating, like kale and cabbage and, you know, other things that, you know, if you eat a lot of them, it gives you a really bad stomachache. Um, I had to really... I had to really look at my food judgments in a very um, mindful way. You know, there's a big difference, I think, between hypervigilance and mindfulness and making that switch mm -hmm. from, and also the switch from sort of like judgment of your food to curiosity about your food, which I think is really important, um, was, was, it, was a difficult practice. But when I did it, you know, then that was the beginning of food neutrality. And I just had to do it with every sort of every meal that came across my plate. And yeah, it did become easier, become more, it became more instinctual, you know, with uh, things like, as I said, like potato products it was a big bugaboo for me. And um, I had to, to really practice mindfulness with eating them and really being aware of my, of my food judgments around them. And now I'm pretty good with potatoes, you know, mm -hmm. they're just food. <laughs> That's awesome. So good. And mindfulness went so much farther for you because, yeah. <laughs> you know, as you as you um, get to in the book, it really helps you to identify some deeper issues. Um, can you talk about what you call your real drug of choice? Distraction. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Um, you know, I know I'm not alone in this, but I do think that in a lot of ways I I was sort of an extreme case. I was really, really always hooked on, on distraction. It sounds so crazy, but like when I was a kid, I was reading constantly. I was, I mean, in the car, on the playground, any single time there was like a moment of silence I was reading, I would read until the book fell on my face and went to sleep. And then it progressed to audiobooks, and then later when I was able to have my own television, it was television, and it was musical theater, it was a giant distraction. But it, it, again, it wasn't just sort of like consuming entertainment in these moments. It was really getting out of my life, out of my house, out of my body, and that 
I think was was sort of um, okay. When you're a kid, I think you you are. It's it's okay to have that imagine that that giant world of imagination, especially if you're having a hard time as a kid. You need some form of escape, but you know it really became a crutch for me, and it became these more and more distracting habits uh, became a way for me to sort of hit the snooze button on my life and be like, okay, I'm just going to stay in and watch this movie, and it's a really really good movie, and it's an important film, and uh, I'm going to do that instead of going out and seeing people or meeting people or dating. And it was also a really good, it worked really well in tandem with a diet, because when you're in that diet cycle, you don't really have time for much of a life, at least certainly certainly I didn't, you know, that's what they all say, is like, oh, you know, it's not, it's lifestyle change, and we want you to be able to, like, go out and, you know, have cocktails with your friends, like in these commercials here, but I couldn't do that if I didn't have enough points, or I didn't have enough, uh, you know, calories left in the day, so I would, I would stay home in my little nest, and I would, have the TV on round the clock while I was, you know, baking if I was in a, you know, a bad phase or making really uh, healthy, almost zero calorie soups if I was in a good phase. And then I would listen to podcasts and musical theater and audiobooks when I was walking to the gym and going home. And there was never no sound in my life, never no like narrative in my life. Even listening to music sometimes was was a a problem because it wasn't if it wasn't transporting enough if I couldn't like imagine myself into a different world or a music video literally like as a as a 27 or 28 year old woman you know mm-hmm. walking around and and fantasizing like a child rather than engaging in in my life and when mindfulness came along and I was I was eating food without distraction for at least one meal a day you know, it, as I said, it sort of crept into all these other areas of my life. And I found myself grappling with silence and, and realizing that, like, it's a problem if I can't walk five minutes to the subway without a podcast on. It's a problem, you know. I, I, I think that it's not heroin, but it's, uh, you know, mental heroin. It's mental masturbation, really, is what it is. And I didn't want to have that crutch all the time because... It made when I when I it made my real life feel uh, shitty, you know. In comparison, it made me constantly comparing my my real life to the ease and the you know extreme beauty of like um, of a movie life or something like that. And you know, actively engaging in your life is a lot more complicated than sitting at home and watching somebody else do it or listening to a book about somebody else do it or even reading a book about somebody else do it. So mindfulness uh, really sort of smacked me in the face in a big way in that regard. And I started to practice it in in more areas of my life. And by that, I don't mean like, again, the sort of complicated meditative sounding version of it. I mean like, okay, you're going to take out your headphones for the walk to the subway or you're going to eat, you know, two meals without distraction. Or tonight you're going to try reading 20 pages of a book instead of listening to a book and playing a game on your phone. And that was so much harder than I thought it would be. Yeah, I think um, I love I love the that you came to that realization, though, because I feel like so so many women can relate to that in one way or another. 
you know, for, I mean, for you, it was like the podcasts and the musical theater and, and the, you know, the sound, but I think for a lot, you know, for a lot of other people, it's work, it's like an addiction to stress, like it's, um, you know, like even just like social media or always checking their phone, like it's the sense of distraction that takes you away from just feeling yourself. And as you put it, like you, you know, you had to get uncomfortable with feeling, you had to get comfortable with feeling uncomfortable. Oh, yeah. I mean, the power of that is enormous. Because to be comfortable all the time and to have to be comfortable all the time, I mean, that is sort of an addictive feeling. Because then when you're sitting in, you know, in silence on the subway and you're crawling out of your skin, I mean, you feel like a, a total lunatic. I didn't want to have that. I don't want to be that person. I wanted to be able to get through a goddamn subway ride. My, you know, mm-hmm. it's ridiculous. <laughs> because, you know, it also prevents you from... Yeah, feeling the necessary discomfort of life or or coping with it, you know, really really developing a sense of I can get through this, you know, and that sense of sense of self-reliance and learning to ride out your emotions rather than dampening them with whatever you can grab and shove into your head or your mouth. Um that that that's a really important lesson and i think yeah we all we all social media is a big one the the work thing is a big one for some people it's sex and whatever and but there's so many ways to just pull yourself out of your life mm-hmm. and so for me i mean i certainly still <laughs> listen to podcasts and i still enjoy television but i make a really conscious effort to to make my life be the biggest part of my life versus you know distraction and I think like dieting is a way to pull yourself out of your life, right? Like it, yeah. it gives you this thin fantasy. Yeah. And so, you know, for you, like you, you know, what was really at the heart of your relationship with your body was like this desire to be seen and to like sit at the cool kids table, quote unquote. And mm-hmm. you had this like perfect fantasy of it. Um, how has that changed for you? Like, how did it feel to kind of, you know, let that go and just sink into like, this is my life and it's not going to feel you know, like this fantasy all the time. Well, it was really crushing at first, I think, because I, I, I mean, I think everybody is, you know, this is, this is an easy habit to fall into, but certainly if you're somebody who's lived in the diet cycle where it's always, you're always waiting for when I'm thin, mm-hmm. you know, it's very easy to get into that pattern in other ways where it's like, when I have this, when I get to this age and then you have this and then you get to this age and it's not the way you thought it was going to look. And that I think is the biggest lesson of it is it's not the way it's gonna, you thought it was going to look. Yes. And relinquishing that future thinking around everything makes you realize that like your life is pretty great, you know, as it is. You don't, you, to, to don't, don't try really hard not to think about, you know, oh, 35 is going to look like this and I will have this. But to, to really, I think, get, get a strong understanding of the fact that your, your life might look a little different than, than you thought it would be, you know, that eliminates the sort of the, the crushing feeling when it doesn't turn out the way you thought it would be. I hear about this a lot with vacation, actually. I've been talking about this with friends, you know, where you have that feeling of, like, 
uh, my vacation is going to be so perfect and so relaxing and it's never going to rain and I'm just going to like lie on the beach and read four books. <laughs> and then you get there and it's not as if your vacation is a disaster, but it's a little different than the way you imagined it would be. Mm-hmm. Not worse, even if it's not worse, but if it's a little bit different, I think your mind kind of freaks out and, and, and thinks it just gets overwhelmed with disappointment and stuff like that. And I think that that's a really good example of how that bleeds into other areas of our life. So now when I go on a vacation, I really try and, and, uh, this is going to sound like really ungrateful, but I try to like lower my expectations or (laughs) at least, (laughs) um, not, not engage too much with the fantasy of the future vacation and get on the plane and go see what happens. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I mean, that could, that's like a good, that's a good way to live life really (laughs) like in, in every, in every respect, you know, because I think we get so attached to the outcome and the outcome is, is, is. yeah, it's never, it's, it's, it never is like, you know, that the solution to, to all of our problems, like it doesn't take away emotions, you know, like negative and positive it's. And so um, yeah, when we can like really detach ourselves from the outcome and just be present, which is really what mindfulness is all about. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that that can really help us to just settle into like, okay, this is my reality and it's okay to not be happy all the time. It's okay to not feel like joyous all the time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that when you can actually get your head around that, it's enormously liberating and everything feels so much better. That really is when things get better in a real and in, in that it not even in the way that like diets promise because it's not like you are, you know, queen of the world and you have a million dollars the way that you kind of believe you will at the end of every diet. But <laughs> it, it makes everything feel just 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 better and more calm. And I'm not saying this is like an easy thing to do, but it's a good thing to strive for and to practice. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and it certainly is, it totally is a practice and it takes a while. And I think like, it's just, well, I I don't think that you ever get there. Like, I think it's just always something you have to be mindful of. Exactly. (laughs) Letting go of the there. Yes, exactly. Uh, I love, so I think my favorite part in the book is when you, um, you kind of have this like, fuck that moment. And you, (laughs) you talk about going from the sidekick to taking the leading lady role in your life and to step out of someone else's opinion of you and into your own true skin. Mm-hmm. How how did how was that for you? How how uh, how have you been able to move into that leading lady role for yourself? Man, I mean, again, first of all, it's I'm really glad I did it because when you're constantly thinking of yourself as you know less than somebody else or the sort of sidekick in in the story, like my God, it's your life. What do you what are you doing? Like what if you're not the leading lady in your own life, which I certainly wasn't then like really what's the point here and so i did i did to sort of make the decision to move into my own <sighs> it's hard to describe how it happened but like i was i was i was sort of comparing myself to other people of course and i was i was getting criticized basically for how i dressed and presented myself and um it took this sort of uh, acute moment at work with somebody who I who I worked with for me to come to that realization that like this isn't 
this isn't just about other people sort of picking on me. This is about me being comfortable being picked on and really allowing that habit to continue in my life and frankly enabling it because it is more comfortable. And the other thing about being the sidekick or, you know, the funny fat friend is there's a lot less pressure and it's a, it's a lot, you can sort of, you know, absent yourself from the picture whenever you want because you're not that important. And I had to really accept, accept the fact that like I have, I have agency, um, this, this is my life, I am the person in control of the situation and that means I am responsible for how people see me, see me and how people treat me. And, uh, you know, if I don't want to take shit, I, I have to sort of, you know, do that for myself as opposed to wait for some, like, buddy to come and stick up for me or inject me with self-esteem and tell me how wonderful I am. I have to really learn how, how to do that on my own because we, we all do. And, uh, yeah, you know, so it's really, you know, the decision to be an adult as opposed to like a child with no, with no agency anymore. And, you know, as we all know, being an adult, I think is way better than being a kid because you have um, a say in your own life. And for that same reason, it's a lot more uncomfortable because you're the only, you're the only boss. You're the boss. (laughs) Yeah. I think one of my favorite quotes was you teach people how to look at you. Yeah. You do. Um, I, I think that that is a complicated, a complicated feeling because when you are walking around presenting yourself as somebody who, uh, you, you, as somebody who'd rather be in the background, then that's how people will look at you. And I felt very sort of like, put upon by that and I felt sort of oh I'm being shuffled to the sidelines because I you know my body and I'm not pretty enough and stuff like that and really I had to own up to the fact that like that's that's on me to a degree yeah I mean we all deal with cultural beauty standards and biases and bullshit like that but I mean if if i if i get up and walk out the door and you know the way that i the way that i dress if i'm dressing in dressing in something that uh i really enjoy and feel physically comfortable in and feel confident in for whatever reason um then i'm going to i'm going to have a better day and that's again that's on me it's all on me whatever you whatever you put on your body however you speak to people however you talk about yourself that's how you teach people how to interact with you and to look at you. And um, again, nobody's, nobody's going to be able to do it for you. And that's difficult and a bummer. But it also gives you the power over your own life. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. I feel like I'm, I'm sort of like being rambly here. But I think it's because I'm really still dealing with this situation, especially as like I'm going into these weeks of like, uh, you know, the book promotion. And I feel like I'm getting, you know, sort of more attention than I've, than I've ever 
uh, dealt with. And, you know, of course, this is like the attention that you always dream of and you want. People sort of reading my book and liking it and wanting to talk to me about it. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. At the same time, I'm like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. I just want to put on sweatpants and stay home. Don't look at me. Don't look at me. You know? <laughs> yes, I do. Yeah. Yeah. I, do. <laughs> yeah, I um, not in the same scale at all whatsoever, but I, I had a book that came out like uh, yeah. this past month and um, yeah, yeah, it was like traumatizing. Yeah. <laughs> So, um, and sometimes like all the positive emotions can feel like negative, like too much positive can almost be processed as like, it's overwhelming. It's, oh, it's yeah. overwhelming. Um, so. And nobody feels bad for you about that, by the way. It's like, I can't I tell my boyfriend about it. It's so hard. And he's like, I mean, is it really? Can't, okay. Um, yeah. yeah, no, I, I, uh, I had to talk to like a friend about it cause, um, uh, who's, who's a life coach where she like totally got it. Uh, but cause I was like, I was like, why am I processing this? Like, why do I want to cry? Like, I don't understand. I should be so happy. And so, um, yeah, so it's, uh, it's what I'll say is it's probably normal. <laughs> I'd like thank to you. Think. Thank you for that. Thank you. I appreciate the validation. <laughs> Um, but no, I love that you're so honest about it. Like, cause I think we're all trying, we're all still trying to deal with this. Like there's no such thing as having it figured out. And I think we'd be liars if we said that we did. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, with that said, like what's, what's your relationship with your body like now? Hmm. Well, it's, it's, um, good. I'd say right now I'm feeling, I'm feeling pretty good right now. I, I think that, but I also recognize that it's all phasic and that's okay. And just because I'm having a good body confidence day doesn't mean I won't have a shitty one tomorrow. And that feeling shitty about myself for a day isn't, isn't a failure. You know, I went through this period where I had gained weight because I was writing the book, which is, you know, as I, as I say, it's, it's not good cardio to <laughs> writing is not good cardio. <laughs> and it's also very stressful, meaning that, you know, a lot of my old, uh, food habits really kind of kept, you know, were coming up in a big way. And that was, that was tough. Um, and I came out the other side of this and I thought, oh, okay, I'm just going to admit it. I'm just going to say it out loud. Like, I have gained weight. You know, I declare it. It has happened. I'm not going to hedge on that. And it made me feel, I, I felt very uncomfortable in my body because, um, you know, it feels better when, when you are able to exercise regularly. It just does. And it also doesn't feel good to, to gain weight in a somewhat short period of time physically. And certainly, it, just that change alone is difficult, especially when you, when you have a, a, a past with this. And it made me panic for a bit. But I had to make the decision in that moment that, like, okay, I can admit to myself that I do not, I don't like my body right now. I don't like looking at it. I don't like the way it feels. Um, but I'm making the decision to accept it and to embrace it and love it and, and, and do it. And so, you know, every time I walked past a plate glass window, I would make a point of looking at myself and saying, you know, something, something good to myself in my mind, even if it was just like, okay, hey, I love you. Remember that I love you. It's okay, you know. And that was a really important practice, which is just like, you know, your body is going to change. That is a guarantee. Mm -hmm. And if you can't, if you can't get through that, I, you just, you just, it's going to be really uncomfortable and unnecessarily uncomfortable and unhappy. And so I, I have to practice making the decision to accept myself no matter where I'm at. 
And, you know, the fact of the matter is I didn't, like, choke up and go back on a, at a diet, which I absolutely would have in sort of <laughs> any other time of my life. Um, I, I just sort of brought myself back to the practices of intuitive eating and, and mindfulness and non-distracted eating and um, getting myself moving again when I had time to, to exercise more regularly. And, you know... I'm I'm feeling better now. I ha- I mean I don't weigh myself. I don't really know uh, where where my weight is at right now, but I know that I feel better than I did a few months ago, and I maintain that that body acceptance. You know, I I, I do practice that daily because it's not easy. No, no matter what, it's not easy to like, you know, look at a crappy picture of yourself. But you can have both those things. You can have like, oh, that's a crappy picture. I'm not psyched about it. And, you know, but I love and accept myself, period, end of story. That's it. Yes. Yes. So good. Well, you've come <laughs> such a long way. And um, I really, really thank you for, for everything that you do for, you know, for the anti-diet body positive community, um, you know, and for sharing that, uh, on the podcast today and also in your book, I'm super pumped about it. Um, I'm going to link to it in the show notes for this episode, which will be at summer forward slash F R R dash five zero. That's 50. It's episode 50. And thank you so much for all of your time today. Thank you. Um, so wonderful. Yeah, to everyone listening, you can find Kelsey's book, Big Girl, How I Gave Up Dieting and Got a Life, January 5th, which will be the date that this episode comes out, and it will be available Amazon, Barnes & Noble, IndieBound, anywhere else that I'm missing. Oh, basically everywhere. Anywhere you buy books, it's going to be there. Awesome. That's really exciting. Oh, my God. Yeah. And you can follow Kelsey's journey on Twitter and Instagram at Ms. Kelsey Miller or hashtag anti-diet project. And also check out all of her articles at uh, Refinery29. You can read the entire anti-diet project over there, which is really, really awesome and inspiring. Thank you. Thank you so much for all of your time today. It was awesome chatting with you. You too. Thank you so much. And good luck. (laughs) Thanks. If you like what you've heard, please head to iTunes to leave me a review. It will take two seconds and I would be super grateful. Click on reviews and ratings and then click to rate. Easy peasy. You can do it on your phone right now, just while you're driving even. Just kidding. And don't forget to head to summerinandin.com or thebodyimagecoach.com to grab your free rule breakers guide to rock in your bod plus the 10-day body confidence makeover plus your exclusive invite to my free online community all for free. Free, free, free. Cool. All right. Until next time, rock on. Rock on.